Hello, denizens of the internet! This is Dr. Nairi A. Bakelian, and you are listening to Friday Night History, your favorite historical romp with your favorite history dyke. Number 49, Season 2, Episode 16, Bushing War, Part 4. My lord, is it time yet? Last time, we led off our discussion of the winning trio of domains in the Bushing War's victorious coalition by starting with Satsuma, its largest member. This time we're going to talk about Choshu, the one that was at the center of a lot of the fighting that stretched across the 1860s in central and western Japan. Choshu Domain, also known by the name of its long-standing castle town as Hagi Domain, Hagihan in Japanese, was the other side of the well-known Satcho moniker, and anchored the lands on the western tip of Honshu. Its ruling family, the House of Mori, was also a Tozama daimyo family, like the Shimazu of Satsuma or the Date of Sendai, which, as stated previously, means that while the Modi enjoyed great prestige at the shogun's court, they were barred from direct participation in the shogunate's political apparatus and in the development of shogunate policy. The Modi family was originally from Aki province nearby, in the area around Hiroshima. It had a history in the region almost as long as the Shimazu had in southern Kyushu. The Mori family once controlled much of western Honshu, across ten provinces in total, making it one of the major powers of the area at the close of the 16th century's Warring States era. However, siding with Ishida Mitsunari at the Battle of Sekigahara resulted in the Tokugawa administration reducing the Mori clan's holdings from ten provinces to just two, Suo and Nagato. This left a fiefdom of about 369,000 koku in size. Unlike the Shimazu, after their territory was downsized, the Mori did not hold on to the entirety of their former retainer force. That being said, the ensuing generations of Mori daimyo and their retainers never forgot this slight against them by the Tokugawa, and even went so far as to incorporate the memory of it into their New Year's traditions. The senior Modi retainers would come to Hagi Castle, the domainal seat, to pay their respects to their lord. This in itself is not too surprising. Most domains had some kind of custom like this. I wrote about a similar tradition in House Date of Sendai in one of my Unseen Japan articles. But in the House Modi of Choshu, there was a further twist. One of the senior retainers would ask in the gathered audience, Sire, is it time to overthrow the shogunate yet? To which the daimyo would reply, not yet, it remains too strong. Unsurprisingly, in the 1860s, the answer became, yes, it is time. Even so, despite that immense loss of its original territory and power, Choshu Domain still controlled an enviable strategic position, one that's still strategically important to this day. This was because both Nagato and Suo overlooked the approach to the Straits of Shimonoseki, through which, even during Japan's isolationist years, a great deal of shipping passed. 
The Domain fortified its side of the strait with artillery. As the Domain's official policy was that of Sonno Joi, revere the Emperor, expel the barbarians, it used this position against foreign shipping in the 1860s to deadly effect. This in turn prompted a military intervention by the Western powers, the US and every European power that had naval assets in Japanese waters, between 1863 and 1864. Now, viewers of the old Ken Burns Civil War documentary series might remember David McCullough's opening narration from Part 5, The Universe of Battle. Quote, In the summer of 1863, a Union warship hunting a Confederate commerce raider off Yokohama attacked a Japanese fleet for harassing the colony of Westerners there. The United States won its first naval battle against the Empire of Japan, but the Confederates got away. The Burns documentary series, for all the praise it got when originally aired, gets a lot wrong, of course. This point, even if it's one that's offered in passing, is one thing it gets wrong. The USS Wyoming, under Captain David McDougall, was indeed in Japanese waters hunting for the CSS Alabama, but there was no Empire of Japan, that is, not the same entity that the U.S. later fought in the 1940s, which is how the narration is presented here. There was Choshu Domain, which was attacking American ships going through the Shimonoseki Straits. McDougal took Wyoming there, shelled the shore batteries, damaging several, and sank two Choshu warships, damaging a third. This was the first action in the multinational intervention against Choshu. In its second phase, in 1864, the U.S. also took part, but was only able to procure a chartered and hastily armed and commissioned steamer, USS Ta Kiang, the subject of a long-ago thread before this series became a podcast. That second phase of the intervention culminated in the landing of French and British marines and sailors at the forts where they spiked some of the guns and captured others. A couple of them survive at Les Invalides in Paris, still bearing the Mori Lord's triple star crest etched into the barrel. The shogunate followed this with the opening of its own hostilities against Choshu. But despite rallying its own troops and those of allied domains, it did not make significant progress against the recalcitrant domain. To its credit, Choshu learned from these encounters, as it did from the subsequent shogunate-led war against it. By the time the Boshin War began, some of the Choshu men were rather experienced in combat action. Rather notably, I think, is that Choshu was far more willing to build units from scratch across all case lines and with chain of command superseding prior ties of fealty or caste status. Now, of course, like Satsuma and Tosa, Choshu also produced many of the so-called great men of the Meiji Restoration. If you've heard of someone notable and politically connected from the Meiji era, it's likely they were from Choshu. Ito Hirobumi, Katsura Kogoro, Yamagata Aritomo, and so many others who influenced Japanese politics, education, finance, and military affairs well into the 20th century were Choshu men in their younger years. Many of them had attended Shokasonjuku, the school in Hagi run by a scholar named Yoshida Shoin, and even many who hadn't were certainly admirers of and sympathetic to Shoin's ideology and mentalities. 
Yoshida Shoin is a complicated figure in his own right, and I might do a longer biographical sketch of him later. He famously tried to sneak aboard one of Commodore Perry's warships, an act that attracted international attention, even going so far as to prompt Robert Louis Stevenson, yes, that Robert Louis Stevenson, the Treasure Island guy, to write a biography of him. Tragically, Yoshida was swept up in the dragnet that was the Ansei Great Purge, and was executed in Edo at Tenmacho Jail in 1859. Overall, the generation that included Shoin students, and this wasn't just in Choshu, emphasized action, particularly direct action, in the pursuit of political ends. The shogunate failed in its barbarian quelling role, and thus failed in its duty to the emperor that was its entire reason for existence. Therefore, these young Choshu men had no compunctions in taking direct, violent action in pursuit of, quote, revering the emperor and expelling the barbarians, unquote. These young men engaged in assassination, arson, and more against shogunate personnel, installations, and interests, especially around Kyoto, the imperial capital, and Osaka, the shogunate's administrative and military nerve center in central Japan. While the shogunate did remarkably well in fighting back and retaining control of Kyoto and Osaka until 1867, Choshu activity in the region never truly did cease. And those young violent radicals would go on to paint themselves as statesmen and anyone who opposed them as traitors. Now, like Satsuma, Choshu had geographic advantages that put it in a better starting position when the Boshin War came. Its proximity to northern Kyushu put it in easy reach of both Nagasaki and Tsushima, two places involved in regular foreign interaction during the Edo period. This would, in time, come in handy during efforts at military modernization and at armed opposition to the shogunate. These efforts would ultimately stand the domain in good stead, and as we will see going forward, offer it a strong, well-trained, well-equipped fighting force with high morale to put in action almost immediately at the Boshin War's start. Choshu's other major advantage was that it was not ravaged by repeated famine and extensive depopulation, as much of northern Honshu was in the decades prior to 1868. This left it in a better position with more resources and people with which to accomplish its strategic and tactical goals. It was in this position that Choshu went to war in late 1867 as part of a coalition, the one that went on to win the war. And having forged that coalition were men who tended to be low-ranking people, unattached to a given domain, or if born into a domain's retainer force, they had no compunctions about abandoning their hereditary obligations or stipends, traveling without official permission, petitioning or even murdering people far beyond their station, and in general subverting the old order into which they were born. In time, they would become indispensable to the subsequent late 19th century project of building the modern Japanese nation-state. And some of the most important among them came from Tosa, a domain in southern Shikoku. We'll get to Tosa next time. I'm Nairi, and this has been Friday Night History. Now, questions? <laughs> Friday.
Friday Night History is a weekly historical romp with me, your favorite history dyke, Dr. Nairi A. Bakalian. Our theme is Bugle Blue, written by Craig Friedrich and performed by the U.S. Army Blues, available royalty-free at pixabay.com music. This and more is made possible by listeners like you. Support Friday Night History. Sign up at patreon.com slash riversidewings and get access to transcripts and sources for each episode, as well as bonus episodes, or subscribe at twitch.tv slash riversidewings to watch gaming, art, and historical bantering. Merch is at hellaredsparrow.redbubble.com. Thank you so much for being the wind beneath my wings. That's all for this time on Friday Night History. Next time, Boshin War Part 5, Tulsa is the Key. Hope to see you there. And remember, who you are and what lights your fire is worth fighting for. I'll see you around. <laughs>